Hi everyone, welcome to the March 18th edition of the Timeform US Forecast. I'm David Aragon, and I'll be joined in just a moment by my usual co-host, Craig Milkowski. This week on the podcast, we're looking ahead to Saturday's races at Fairgrounds. It is their Louisiana Derby Day card, the final prep for the Kentucky Derby in Louisiana. Six weeks of a layoff heading for those three-year-olds leading up to the Kentucky Derby Day on the first Saturday in May for those that run for that 100 Kentucky Derby qualifying points on Saturday. But it's a nice card assembled at the fairgrounds on saturday we're going to talk about the late pick five sequence that black gold five all stakes for these last five races on the card beginning with the 10th the tom benson memorial proceeding to a series of four consecutive grade two races culminating with those two preps for the oaks and the derby the uh, fairgrounds oaks and the louisiana derby at the end of the card and craig pretty competitive races especially these ones for older horses looks like some wide open fields and some interesting pace scenarios i think there's going to be a lot to discuss here yeah, I'm looking forward to these races. As we discussed off air, there's a lot of horses we've talked about many times because they seem to run back a lot at the fairgrounds. But I think all of the races has some interesting twists, be it pace or maybe just one or two new shooters coming in, kind of joining the group of the horses we've seen over and over. So I am really looking forward to this card. We're going to kick things off with the first race of that Lake Pick 5 sequence. It's race 10, the Tom Benson Memorial going a mile and a 16th on the turf for the Phillies and Mares. And Craig, you said there were some familiar faces on this card. That's certainly the case in this race. We have the top three finishers from the Al Stahl Memorial, the local prep for this race. That one was won by Delica, who is back in this race as the morning line favorite, and as she should be. She's won two stakes now this winter at the fairgrounds. Looks like she's coming into this race in good form, but she is facing 12 other rivals and there are many contenders in a race where all of the horses uh, that look like their players have speed figures that are very closely grouped towards the top. Yeah, I don't think it's a, a walkover by any means. Delica is clearly the horse to beat. She's won two or three at the meeting. The one loss uh, you picked up on, I think it was an equipment issue you, that you discovered during the race, and it certainly seemed to get remedied last time. So I do think this is a tough race. And while she is the horse to beat, I do think there's some others in here to take a look at. Uh, I thought Temple City Terror ran just fine last time to get second behind Delica. But for me, she does look like a horse that needs some pace, whereas Delica has more tactical speed. She really doesn't. I thought overall she got a pretty good trip, and though she was making up a lot of ground late, I'm a little worried she's going to be at the, the mercy of things again this time because I don't think there's a ton of speed signed on once again. Uh, there are some horses with ones in their running line, like they one horse and catch a bid who's drawn outside. But when you actually look at those horses, something I like to do is actually look at the pace figures they've been running. And they're, they're just not the kind of horses who are going to go out blazing and set fast paces. So even though I picked Temple City Terror last time, I'm a little down on her this time. Uh, I mentioned Catch a Bid. She's a horse who used to be in the Chad Brown barn, and she was just okay. She was like a third or fourth stringer. Uh, she moved to the Joe Sharp barn last time for that Jersey Lily at Sam Houston. But... Frankly, I mean, she set a pretty slow pace, had nothing left for the stretch, so it's hard for me to get excited about her, too. So I do still think clearly Delica is the horse to beat, but I'm going to try a different horse, one we haven't seen yet this year, and that's Dominga, who's drawn in the two-hole for Brad Cox. Just a couple of things. She is a newly turned four-year-old, so while her figures look a little a little bit light in here, I do think she's sitting on some improvement. And the one thing I've really noticed with Brad Cox is we 
looking at the time form U.S. trainer ratings, he is a guy who used to be in the, the high 70s, maybe low 80s when it came to bringing horses off layoffs. And it seems like he's changed his M.O. It's something that's steadily been climbing to where I think the last time I checked, it's like a 93 or a 94 coming off layoffs. So I'm just looking to try somebody different in here when there isn't really a speed figure edge for anybody. So I'll make Dominga my top pick. Uh, and, and I will note she draws Florent Giroux as well. Yeah, one of the things that I like about these races where many of the contenders are coming out of a common race, in this instance, the Alstall Memorial, is you get to analyze trips and see who got the right trip, commensurate to the result, who didn't. And uh, Delika, she got the trip for her in the Alstall, and she was probably best in that race. Though I think that the horse that you might want based on having a little trouble in there was Joy Epifora, who was getting a very good trip up until the quarter pole, uh, where she was saving ground around the second turn. But she was trying to split horses in about a bit about the eighth pole in the stretch and just kind of got bounced around and sandwiched between Delica and the tiring uh, his glory who's back in this race and ended up losing a lot of momentum in the process. I don't know that she would have beaten Delica, but I think she would have been second if not for that trouble. And she was a big price, 23 to one that day. Uh, she was actually a horse that I liked a little bit in that spot uh, at a price because her prior turf effort at Saratoga last summer is not nearly as poor as it seems. She was facing a really strong optional claiming field, got no pace to close into in that spot. So, so I think twice now, Joy Epifora has run a little better than it seems in her two starts on turf in this country. And if she's going to be another prize in this race, she's 15 to one on the morning line. I don't know if we'll quite get that high of a price, but uh, she is going to be probably in the eight to 10 to one range at the very least. So I would use her as well, along with Delica. The one other horse that interests me at, a, at an even bigger price is the number five winter sunset. At first glance, it seems like she's just completely gone off form and maybe it'll be uh, not too long before she's heading to the breeding shed, given her pedigree. But she is a horse who did at one time have the ability to compete here, going all the way back to her three-year-old season in 2019. Even as a young three-year-old, she was running speed figures that put her in the mix. She got a 114 when she ran first in the Indiana Grand, three back in September of 2019. Obviously, there have been issues because it took her a year to get back to the races at Keeneland last October. But going back to watch that race, it was very strange. She she appeared to be traveling very well. Florent Giroux came to the quarter pole with what looked like a ton of horse underneath him, like he was about to press the button and she was going to go on to an easy victory. And then just in the blink of an eye, suddenly she was out of horse and plummeted to the back of the pack, almost like there had to be some issue. And I think some people sometimes use, oh, that horse just bled as, as a crutch and making the assumption when there's no evidence of that. And I don't like to do that. But just given the optics last time, how she was traveling so sweetly and then in the blink of an eye, suddenly she was finished. It, it does feel like something like maybe a bleeding issue occurred or there was something else ailing her. And now she's been gone for another few months and she's coming back and they could have looked for an allowance race for her, but she's coming back in this pretty tough stake spot. They could have retired her as well, given that pedigree, as I said, and they're bringing her back for one more go as a five-year-old. She's got a really impressive-looking series of workouts coming up to this. I just feel like she's a horse that might not be completely finished. So if she's anywhere near that 20-to-1 on the morning line, I'd give her a shot in here. Yeah, I'm certainly not going to argue with either of those. They're, they're both going to be good prices. And I think this is, at least for me, the kind of race where you want to take a shot because I just don't love Delica in here. Uh, she she certainly can win, but I, hard for me to get excited about her at what's going to be a pretty shortish price, I think, in a big field. 
Moving on to the next race of this Black Gold 5 sequence, it is the Grade 2 New Orleans Classic going a mile and an eighth for the older horses on the dirt. And uh, a pretty intriguing pace scenario here, pretty confounding pace scenario, because you look at the pace projector in Timeform US and you've got that dreaded gray bar indicating that there's no speed in this race. And when you look through the field, it becomes pretty apparent. I mean, there's nobody with even tactical speed, nobody who even likes to stalk. Everyone's a closer. Yeah, this one's bizarre. I mean, just one look at it and you see Owendale is shown actually tied for second on the pace projector up front. And that pretty much can tell you all you need to know that there is absolutely no speed in here. Um, Owendale is one. He just can't seem to catch a break in these. Uh, he hasn't seen red fractions in his PPs, I think, since the Preakness when he was a three-year-old. And, and I don't think he's the kind of horse who's going to be up close to the pace, even though the pace projector shows him there. I think he's going to take his usual position. And for that reason, I just think you have to take him on. He's probably going to be the favorite in here. He's He's got that name recognition. He's got pretty good speed figures, but it's just not a good setup for him. Uh, the first horse I looked to after him was Roadster, who's actually the second choice on the morning line. He changes barns away from Bob Baffert. He's been away over a year. He's a horse people may remember. I mean, he actually won the Santa Anita Derby. He was kind of a wise guy horse in the Derby. He didn't run particularly well and has had not a lot of success since then. But when I look at the rest of them, I mean, he's been working up a storm. His barn is good off of layoffs. And I'm almost landing on him by default just because I don't like anyone else in here. Uh, Sonneman doesn't do much for me. Enforceable, who I liked last time, just did no running whatsoever off of a really good running line two back. I couldn't find an excuse for him. So I guess I'm going to go with Roadster as my top pick. If, if I had to use one other, if I'm playing uh, horizontal bets in here, I would go with Chess Chief. He is just the one horse who I think could steal it if Luis Saez gets aggressive and really take the lead. But these kind of races are really tough to predict because it's not like Chess Chief is a horse who ever runs up front. And they would kind of take a jockey reading the PPs and figuring it out. So he's the one that I would think could. But I'm going to go with Roadster just based on his works and, and the barn he's in. And he had the figures as a three-year-old and even before his layoff that could easily compete here. I'm not picking Owendale here, and I do think he'll be favored, but I will say a couple things in his defense. First of all, last time out at Oaklawn Park over that sloppy track in the Razorback, I mean, number one, nobody was beating Mystic Guy that day. But also, the second point is, he was on what appeared to be a dead rail for most of the way. I think if you watch a lot of the stakes races from that period of time at Oklahoma that weekend and some of the other races, it did seem like the rail probably wasn't the place to be. A lot of outside movers were successful. And Owendale was right down inside the one or the two path most of the way. He actually ducked down to the to the rail at the quarter pole before coming a little bit off it in the stretch. And I just think that probably wasn't the right situation for Owendale. His prior races have been a little bit disappointing because I think there was the assumption based on his three-year-old season and how successful he was that he was going to take a big step forward as a four-year-old and it just never really happened. But I will say a couple of times last year, he did show more tactical speed in paceless races. One of those times was in the Alley Sheba where Florent Giroux got a little aggressive with him, had him much closer to the pace than he expected to be, was expected to be, and he, he was a decent second behind by my standards. And the other time was the Pimlico Special where he actually set the pace, um, dueling on the lead 
lead with Harper's first ride before getting turned away by that foe. Uh, so Owendale has been placed closer to the pace in the past when there is no pace in the race. So I, I could foresee him get, getting that same kind of ride here. I'm still just not sure if I want to take him at a short price. Personally, I can't go to Roadster. Um, we used to talk about this horse a lot when he was a three-year-old in Bob Baffert's Bard. I don't know if you remember, Craig. I never liked this horse back then. I, I was not surprised when he didn't go on as a four-year-old. And just in general, I'm not a big fan of horses coming out of Bob Baffert's barn. So I feel like he'd have to take a step forward for Mike Stidham. And while I think Mike Stidham does a fantastic job, I'm just not sure that I'm really expecting it to happen. So I'm I'm just a little bit on the fence with Roadster. And if he's going to be the second choice in this race, I would really rather look elsewhere. The horse that I would want coming out of the mine shaft behind Maxfield is Chess Chief, the horse that you mentioned at the end, Craig. Uh, I thought he got the worst trip of the horses coming out of that race because while he was saving ground the entire way, that was a spot where there was a runoff leader, Dinar, who was a long shot. And I think all of the other riders were just waiting for that horse to come back and trying to maneuver around him at the quarter pole when he was stopping. And James Graham just kind of found himself in the wrong position. And he was the one that lost momentum kind of when Dinar backed up in his face. And uh, you can see it in the running line. Chess Chief was stalking in third. And then he drops back and loses all, all of momentum at the quarter pole. And he actually does well to gather himself and re-rally on the stretch and nearly get past Sonnen for a second. In my opinion... Uh, Chess Chief ran a lot better than Sonneman in that race. And I think Chess Chief, while he's never won going this mile in an eighth distance, he's run some of his better races going this far, including in this exact race last year when there was a little bumping, but he still finished third against the decent field won by By My Standards. So I, I think Chess Chief just makes a lot of sense in this button. I also put some credence in what you said that Luis Saez is not a rider that's afraid to to take a risk and send a horse who doesn't look like the speed to the front. So I'd be delighted if he rides chest chief that way. Yeah, that's what I was hoping. And if I had to make a bet at the odds, I would pick him over Roadster. I just, this is a really confounding race for me. I was scratching my head with a little bit of hair that I do have left trying to come up with one. And uh, yeah, it's again, just one where I, I don't particularly like the favorite. I, I agree with you about Owendale. I'm not really knocking the pace projector because he has been running races where he's he has run a few races where when his hand was forced he's up close I, I just don't know if that's the best way for him to win and he hasn't got it done in those spots so yeah at that short price I'm not interested Sonneman we talked about him with Maxfield I mean he is what he is but he's going to take some money I think just because of that running second the Maxfield last time and I just don't love him at all Moving on to the middle leg of this pick five sequence, going back to the turf, it's the Mervyn Muniz Memorial grade two event going a mile and an eighth on the grass course at the fairgrounds. And I think we're going to have a prohibitive favorite in this race in the number five, Colonel Liam, who is on the precipice of establishing himself as the best turf horse in the country based on that Pegasus World Cup turf victory last time out. Though, I think we have to put that win in context a little bit because we talked about it beforehand when we were handicapping the Pegasus that the turf race this year didn't really come up that tough. It was a really interesting race to handicap and a competitive field signed on. And Colonel Liam, he, he did win as the favorite and did so in impressive fashion. But it's not like the race came back that fast. And I don't want to give him too much credit for beating what just seemed like a mediocre grade one field as he drops down slightly into this grade two event. He's still going to have to run probably a career best race to beat this group. 
Yeah, I agree with you. When One thing I did, of course, is look through the chart of that Pegasus turf, and there have been four runbacks from it, uh, and, you know, and not horses that ran terribly either, and none of them have even hit the board yet. So it kind of backs up that it, it really wasn't that fast of a race. Now, I mean, you can make the excuse that Colonel Liam can only you know, beat what's put in front of them. And it's hard to get really big figures on the turf unless you close really fast into a slow pace or you just win by a big margin. But based on the figures, I mean, he's not really any faster than horses like uh, Cross Border, like, um, oh, I'm forgetting, uh, Spooky Channel. So it, it's hard to get excited about him. He's not going to be anywhere near that three to one morning line. I'd be surprised if he's not more in the, the seven to five, eight to five range, if even lower than that. So I'm going to take a horse that uh, admittedly I'm taking a chance on him because it's running lines look bad uh, lately. But I think factor this gets totally loose in here. He's run huge figures like that in the past and He's just the kind of horse I'm always looking to bet where he's had a couple pretty brutal trips on the front end, dueling really fast horses, and he doesn't see any of that in here. And if he can get anywhere back to that form he showed last year, I personally think he's the horse to beat and the one that I want. We're on the exact same page in this race. Factor this is just the classic example of a speed horse whose form is completely dirtied up by a series of fast-paced races. I mean, forget about the Breeders' Cup mile three back. That was always going to be an ambitious spot for him. Uh, but two back and, and and last time out, I mean, just look at the early pace figures in the time form of SPPs. He, he's pairing up 152, 160 pace ratings for the early fractions. That's just insanely quick on the turf. And it's no surprise that he faded in those races. Everybody was close to the pace in the Fort Lauderdale ended up towards the back of the pack. That was a race that basically flip-flopped as the horses that were towards the back seemed to have more success than those that were towards the front. And last time out in the fairground stakes, uh, he, he did fade to be fifth against what you could say is an inferior field to what he's meeting here. But that was a race that was dominated by a horse, Captivating Moon, who came from way back in the pack, closing down the center of the course. That was also a yielding turf course, and it seemed like horses moving down the center paths, like Captivating Moon and Logical Myth, had a bit of an advantage whereas Factor This was trying to battle back inside after being down on the rail for the entire race. I just think Factor This ran so much better than his final results would indicate. And the time formula speed figure for his last race kind of indicates that. He got a big pace bonus up to a 123. That makes him one of the fastest horses in this race. And I completely agree with what you said, Craig, that the difference between last time and this time is just so stark. There was a ton of speed in the fairground stakes, and this time in the Muniz, there's just nobody to go with him. I mean, the other horses that are shown close on the pace projector, like the Six Logical Myth and the Seven Two Emmys, they're not even speed horses. So it does seem like Factor This is going to be loose up front, and he's always dangerous in that situation. I just think he makes a lot of sense. And in my opinion, Colonel Liam has to show that he's up to the task of beating a good horse like Factor This when he gets the right kind of pace setup. Yeah, and this is the kind of race where I'll be playing exactas too. And as I said, there's other horses who have run just as quick as he has. And like I said, Spooky Channel is one of them, Cross Borders another. So I'll be uh, playing this race as well with Factor This over other horses besides Colonel Liam. 
Yeah, I do want to mention just a few more horses in this race before I move on, because I do think that while we're a little bit down on Colonel Liam from a value standpoint, I mean, I think we both acknowledge he can win this race. If he just runs back to the Pegasus and nobody else steps forward, he's right there in the mix. It's just he's probably going to be a lower price than you really want to take. Even in a pick five sequence, I wouldn't lean too hard on him when you've got such a viable alternative like Factor This is going to be a much better price. So for me, they're the two that I would lean on the heaviest, but there are some other bigger prices that I think you can make a case for. Um, there are the two that finished behind Colonel Liam last time, Cross Border and Pixelate. You know that I'm a big Pixelate fan. He's not really helped by the post position here being all the way on the outside, and he was no match for Colonel Liam last time, though he was a little bit bullied at the top of the stretch when Irad Ortiz you know, did his usual thing where he made a path for himself and Pixelate got pushed out into the five path, uh, but Pixelate still was never winning that Pegasus. I thought he ran fine. Uh, he'll have to do better to beat this field, though, though he'll be a bit of a price. Um, and then the other horses that I would want to mention are those that finished uh, along with fact this in the fairgrounds last time. I'd want to veer away from those that were coming from way off the pace, like Captivating Moon and um, uh, Logical Myth. And I'd be more interested in a horse like Peace Achieved, who's going to be a bigger price in here. He was stalking relatively close to the pace of Factor This and stayed on decently to get third in there. So he just seems like a horse that might be heading in the right direction. I'm not really advocating for him to, to win at a big price, but he's one that I think you could use and get in the mix. Yeah, for sure. And it, this is a race, if you don't like Colonel Liam, as you said, I, I think it's ripe for verticals to, to pay some big braces. And I totally agree with you. I mean, Colonel Liam is the horse to beat. If I was playing horizontals, he's going to be on my ticket, but he's not going to be a horse I rely too heavily on. Uh, I do think it's interesting. You brought up Irad Ortiz. I, I'm going to be watching him pretty close to see if he tries some of his same stuff when he's at the fairgrounds. And if he does, if he can get away with it, because he does seem to have a pretty long lead at Gulfstream, but I'm not sure that will fly in other jurisdictions. Moving on to some of those prep races for the big three-year-old prizes in Kentucky in May, uh, beginning with the Fairgrounds Oaks, the final Louisiana prep for the Kentucky Oaks. This grade two event going a mile on the 16th has attracted a pretty interesting field of three-year-old fillies led by the, perhaps the two top contenders for the Kentucky Oaks at this period of time, uh, those being Travel Column and Clarier. I was looking at the Oaks Future Wager that recently closed, uh, I think, last week, and I believe they were the two top individual betting interests. Um, so we'll see how they match up against each other once again as they face off here after checking in first and second in the Rachel Alexandra, the prep for this. It was probably a tale of two different trips in that race. His travel column was written a bit more aggressively and Clarier came from a little farther back in the pack while saving ground most of the way. I thought Clarier got a great trip and ride from Joe Talamo, never leaving the rail except for passing about one horse at the quarter pole and getting back to the inside and just getting by Travel Column late. Travel Column, uh, to her credit, I thought was pretty game to battle back at the end of that race after being a little bit more aggressively ridden than she has been in some recent starts. They're the two horses to beat, but I don't think it's just about those two. Yeah, this is a kind of an interesting race, particularly from a pace projector standpoint. I can't remember a time when one of these Oaks or Derby preps had the no pace label, but this one has it. And when you look at the PPs of the horses in the field, I think it's probably the right call. There's not a lot of horses who have shown they want to be on or even anywhere near the lead. Um, for me, it does pretty much come down to those top two. I was hoping we'd get a couple new horses in here uh, that might be able to challenge them. I'll talk about one of them at the end. But I want to start with the top two. 
And I think you covered it pretty well. A travel column uh, won the first matchup. Uh, Clarier turned the tables. And I'm looking for another reversal in travel column in here. I think the trips made the difference. Uh, travel column was, was in that race chasing the runoff leader in there. At a position which I just hate as a trip handicapper. Uh, there's, it's just a tough win. It's hard to gauge when to make your move. And I think she probably made it maybe just a little bit too early. It's hard to say, but I just think she set up a nice target for Clarier. This time, she clearly, uh, in my mind, has more tactical speed than Clarier does. Um, I think she's going to have all of it, whereas last time that runoff leader was setting really fast fractions, and she was kind of sucked into going maybe a little faster than she wanted to. I think she's going to be able to conserve more speed here and just get the jump on that one and be able to hold her off this time. As I said, I was kind of disappointed in the rest of the field. I guess the one horse you really have to look at is Little Tootsie, who's the third choice on the morning line. She's won a couple in a row for Tom Amos, uh, including a big, she had a big 106 speed figure when she broke her maiden at six furlongs. But I didn't really love her route last time. She did win pretty easily in a race with a moderate pace. But her speed figure did regress quite a bit. That hasn't been the strongest field coming back. So, I mean, she's the kind, if she was 10 to 1 or something, maybe I'd give her a chance. But just the weakness of the rest of the field, the way I see it, just it doesn't lead me to wanting to take a flyer in here. So I'll go with travel column. Nothing too exciting for me. Yeah, I think the one problem that I have with travel column and Clarier and this is speaking more in the sense of them moving on towards the Kentucky Oaks as the two favorites, is that they're just not that fast. And maybe they can step forward here. It's their second start off a layoff. Second start is three-year-olds. But if we're talking about these two horses as the clear leaders of the division, I mean, that just doesn't say too much that's in the in the positive way about the three-year-old Philly division right now. Because, I mean, I know that well, we'll talk about the speed figures with regard to the Louisiana Derby runners next, but I know that the, the speed figure that the Rachel Alexandra got, if anything, it's on a little bit of the generous side, at least the time form US number of 106. And uh, I don't know. They they just they haven't impressed me that much. I, I think that they're facing a tougher field than they met last time in the Rachel. And I agree with you. The travel column is the one that I slightly prefer, though it's close between the two of them. But I would look at what I think are the two other alternatives to them that are in this race. Uh, one of those is Lil Tootsie, who you mentioned. And um, we had talked about her maiden victory on the pace cast back in January, and she was so impressive that day. I was a little surprised they stretched her out after that because she looked like such an effective sprinter. Um, and I was also surprised with the way they rode her last time, taking her so far off the pace. Uh, James Graham rode her with a lot of confidence, waiting patiently at the top of the stretch and passing a few runners in the lane, coming up the inside. She was visually impressive in that spot. But when you look through the field, it just wasn't very good. The runner up was over 60 to one. I think a horse that was coming out of claiming races. So I'm just not sure that she was beating much in that spot. And to me, she'd have to get back back to that sprint figure two back and I'm not sure she can do it in this tougher route race the horse that actually interests me the most as the alternative is the number five obligatory who's coming in for Bill Mott from Florida she didn't run quite as fast as the top two contenders last time out but it was just her second start coming off a layoff uh beating maidens and I really like the way she did it uh, there wasn't a whole lot of pace going on in that race. She broke a little bit slowly towards the back of the pack and she was steadily advancing on the far turn. And it's not really noted in the short comment 
Um, but she actually had to lose momentum and steady a little bit coming around the turn. Uh, a horse that was tiring in front of her kind of backed up in her face and she had to alter course around that one and was able to regather herself and continue breaking her rally, which is not always easy to do at Gulfstream Park. And I thought she finished up like a horse that's crying out for two turns. I mean, that would be no surprise as the daughter of Curlin. This was a really strong Judmon female family going deeper on the dam side. A lot of routers in that family. So I think that she's one that's going to continue getting better with added distance. And I just think she's one with upside in a race where I wouldn't be um, I wouldn't be opposed to taking a new face. So I'll, I'll go with obligatory. Yeah, I've, I've got no problem with that. And I totally agree with you about these two being the leaders of the the three-year-old Philly division. That That just seems like pretty weak to me. I understand it because, frankly, the division's been a bit of a mess this year. It looked like we had a lot of fast Phillies as two-year-olds, and we just haven't seen anybody come back. So no problem with the pick. I'm going to stick with travel column, but I'll certainly give obligatory another look. Uh, I do notice there's something funky about that quarter-mile figure last time. I do have it noted as a uh, timing error at Gulfstream, which isn't surprising for their mile dirt races. But that 42 we show, that one must have been way off. So I'm going to give that one another look. Now moving on to the final race of the day at Fairgrounds on Saturday, the last race of this late pick five sequence. It is that Derby prep, the grade two Louisiana Derby going one and three sixteenth miles at Fairgrounds, the longest of the final round of Derby preps. The horses that run here will have to wait six weeks before the Kentucky Derby, but the winner will have gotten enough points to get into that race with 100 Kentucky Derby qualifying points on the line to the horse that crosses the wire first here. And we've got a lot of familiar faces in this race. Actually, six horses coming out of the local prep for this, the Risen Star out of the eight runners in this field. Just two horses coming in from different races, one of which is based at Fairgrounds, the other of which is shipping in from California. I guess we should start the conversation with the horses that are coming out of the Risen Star, and that group is clearly led by Mandaloon, who did finally run to the hype last time, delivering on that promise. And if he runs back to that Risen Star effort, he, he is the horse to beat in this race. Yeah, I think he is. I do want to mention before we start, as you you uh, made note of, this is a mile and 316th race. And as a guy who makes pace, uh, especially pace figures, but speed figures as well, the fairgrounds has done me no favors whatsoever. They've run this distance exactly once, and that was last year's Louisiana Derby. So they haven't done anything else. So there's not going to be a whole lot to go on as far as pace figures go. I do the best I can with it, try to get a good feel for what the race shape is, but I'm sure we'll talk about it on the pace cast this week. Uh, as for the field, I mean, it basically looks like a rematch of the Risen Star at a half furlong longer, with the notable exception of the California horse. Uh, well, he's, I guess, yeah, he is a California horse, other than the Breeders' Cup, and Hot Rod, Hot Rod Charlie, who ships in. He's the second uh, choice on the morning line. And we've seen, I mean, there's no real arguing the California division, I think, right now is the strongest out there. We said mostly Bob Baffert, of course. But we've seen some other horses that have run pretty well. Hot Rod Charlie was runner-up in that Breeders' Cup Juvenile. So, for me, I, I took a good hard look at him, wondering if he could beat these guys in Personally, I, I actually think he's a bit of a sucker horse. I, I will say there's definitely going to be some pace in here. It looks like that's the only way Right and Just knows to go. He's going to go right to the front, set a quick pace. I imagine Midnight Bourbon will be in pretty close attendance. But the more I looked at that last race, Hot Rod, Rod Charlie's coming out of, although he finished a very close third behind Medina Spirit, that race was just the absolute perfect setup 
Uh, he didn't really pass anyone whatsoever. We've already seen Roman Centurion run back from that race, as did the winner, Medina Spirit. They, they faced each other. And once again, Medina Spirit got the best of him. Roman Centurion ran about the same figure. And as I said, I just wasn't all that impressed by Hot Rod Charlie. The three horses that finished behind him that day were all beaten a football field or two. They packed it in early, so... I just think that race is a little bit on the phony side, and he's a horse I don't want to take a stand on, given his running style. So I'm going to settle on the favorite Mandaloon. He's a horse, if I do play this pick five, I'm going to lean on quite heavily. Because even though we only won that Risen Star by a length and a quarter, I thought he was actually much more dominant than that margin would suggest. He got a 113 time form U.S. speed figure, but he was wide on both turns. Uh, he was able to stay up close to that pace while wide, which I, I think is always impressive. And in the stretch, he was basically had the race the whole way. So I think he is actually a very good three-year-old. I think he is a derby threat at this point. That 113 speed figure, while I do think it's probably totally legit, I also think he's capable of much better with a better trip. So, Mandaloon for me in here and, and against Hot Rod Charlie. Yeah, I know that Risen Star speed figure is one that we had a little bit of correspondence about after the fact, uh, because it, it was, just based on the times, it was a very fast race in the context of the day, actually, maybe even a tick faster than Maxfield ran, much, much faster than the Phillies ran in the Rachel Alexandra, and I know that um, your your colleague who makes the speed figures at Fairgrounds chose to break that race out and handle it a little bit separately, given that it was at a different distance, a mile and an eighth versus a mile and a sixteenth. Um, I, I mean, just to to cite some other speed figure makers that didn't do that had this as one of the faster Kentucky Derby preps. So I think it's it's worth pointing that out that maybe some of these horses coming out of the Risen Star, you could say that they ran a little bit faster than maybe it seems, or maybe even that speed figure is a little bit on the low side. But I agree with you that it seems like all of these horses coming out of the Louisiana races are moving in the right direction. They obviously took a step forward from the Lecomte to the Risen Star, and it would be no surprise if they were able to take another step forward in this Louisiana Derby, because unlike what we see in some other years, it, all of these horses appear well-equipped equipped to handle the mile and 3 sixteenths distance. Mandaloon seems to want every bit of ground he can get. I would say the same for Proxy, who's just got that grinding running style who seems to have a lot of stamina underneath him uh he's a son of tappet out of a dam who's produced uh michelin who wants to go long on the turf so a lot of stamina with proxy and even midnight bourbon um it looked like he was going to pack it into the top of the stretch in the risen star but he battled on pretty well to the end of that race and seems like another one is a son of tis now that shouldn't have problems with the distance so i think it's a pretty good group of three-year-olds at the fairgrounds they are the horses to beat and i don't disagree with you that mandaloon ran the best race race in the Risen Star. I do think that Proxy is a horse that still has a little bit of improvement in him. He's one that hasn't been totally focused in his races all the time. So maybe adding the blinkers will help that a little bit. Um, it's not a great move from a statistical standpoint for Mike Stidham, uh, but uh, it just seems like maybe Proxy might have another step forward in him. So I'd rate those two, Proxy and Mandaloon, maybe just a step above Midnight Bourbon. They're the only horses that I would want coming out of the Risen Star. As for that California ship or Hot Rod Charlie, well, we just have completely different takes on this horse. Uh, I think he's my topic in this race, and I think he's very appealing. Uh, he, he obviously has just turned into a completely different horse since they stretched him out going long on the dirt last year. 
he ran fine to break his maiden, but obviously took a big step forward in that Breeders' Cup Juvenile. And I think it's worth pointing out that that Breeders' Cup Juvenile performance was really strong within the context and pace scenario of that race because he made what looked like a premature move into a really fast pace. Remember, he was the first one to take on Jackie's Warrior coming around the far turn, and he put that foe away and just got run down by Essential Quality. It was coming from farther back in the pack than he was, and the other horse that was third in that race, keep me in mind, got the best trip of all because he was coming from out of the clouds. But Hot Rod Charlie made their first move into that quick pace, and I think he deserves credit for that. And we don't really have the same take on the Robert B. Lewis either. I don't think that race was phony at all. And the way that horses have run back out of that race, I think kind of proves that it was just as strong of a race as it seemed at the time. I mean, Medina Spirit, while he was no match for life is good, he actually improved his time form to a speed figure three points next time out in the San Felipe up to a 120. As you said, Roman Centurion, he repeated his number, got a perfect trip in both races, couldn't make much of an impact last time. But even the fourth place finisher, Spielberg, who was a distant fourth, 11 lengths behind Hot Rod Charlie in the bluest, he came back and was a much improved second with a 114 time form to a speed figure behind essential quality in the Southwest after that so i think the lewis is was a pretty strong race and hot rod charlie i mean he was third best in there i don't think that he was ever getting to medina spirit who was clearly superior to him but the thing that i like about hot rod charlie coming into this race as opposed to last time is i've been watching his workouts on xbtv coming into both of these races and i was not thrilled with the way that he was training into the last one just a lot of slow works was having to be asked to achieve some pretty mediocre times and he just looks like a completely different horse training into this race much more forward in the morning much quicker times. I mean, I don't care about who he's been working with. O'Neill usually works with superior horses, but some lesser ones in the barn to to just give them targets. But I mean, he's been inhaling those horses and running away under no urging, really finishing with some impressive strides in his workout. So he just seems like a horse to me that's putting it all together now. And if he takes the kind of step forward that I think he's capable of, he's right on terms with a horse like Mandaloon and he'll be a better price. Yeah, maybe I overstated when I said against him. I think I was just making the case. I much prefer Mandaloon uh, for tactical reasons, but I, I'm going to have to find more time to watch these workouts on XBTV because I frankly very uh, see very few of them unless somebody points them out. But uh, you seem to pull out some nuggets from them, so I'm going to have to make some extra time. But really looking forward to this card. I have our time form USPPs open right now, and it says it's – 52 hours and 59 minutes away so we still have some time to handicap but uh yeah i think this is going to be a great betting card uh all the races i think have some interesting angles and and i know where i'll be on saturday i'll be glued to my tv watching these races yeah it's kind of crazy to think that one component of that kentucky derby picture is going to be pretty solidified after saturday as these horses will probably make their next start at the kentucky derby after they run at the fairgrounds on saturday and it's just weird to think we're only six weeks away from the first saturday in may but the winter's gone pretty quickly and we'll now have these final round of preps proceeding over the next two or three weeks so a lot to look forward to after this card but as you said i'll also be closely have my eyes closely trained on the fairgrounds feed on saturday looking forward to this pick five sequence and I think a really interesting sequence where there aren't too many singles to lean on, some races to spread in. So definitely one that could pay nicely if you're able to be successful betting it. Yeah, and as much as people love the three-year-olds, I mean, I do as well. But the race I'm most looking forward to is at Muni's Memorial and, and see how that turns out, see how Colonel Liam runs, see if 
factor this can rebound. And I think that race is just a fascinating betting race. And that's, after all, what what I think most of the people that follow the sport and actually bet are looking for. So, yeah, we all love the three-year-olds that build up to the Kentucky Derby. But as a handicapper, the the Muniz Memorial is the one I really want to see on Saturday. Oh, for sure. Everybody loves to see great horses in action. We're going to get a little bit of that on Saturday at the fairgrounds. Well, hopefully we give out some good handicapping ideas on this show. Remember, you can always listen to us on Tuesdays and Fridays. We'll recap all of these races when we come back for Tuesday's podcast, the Time Form US Pacecast. So looking forward to that. For now, remember, you can always catch us on DRF.com, Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, and SoundCloud. Wherever you get your podcast, just make sure to subscribe to the Daily Racing Form channel. Thanks for listening this week and stay tuned for that Time Form US Pacecast on Tuesday.